All right. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of the Jack Hallows podcast. I've got a really exciting episode today because I've got a guest that I've wanted to have on for a while. I've got Lindsay Parker, or as some of you may know her, Lifting Lindsay on Instagram. Lindsay, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Well, I'm excited to be here. It's kind of funny because I reached out to get you onto my show and now look, I'm on yours and you haven't been on mine yet. So <laughs> we'll get you on soon. Yeah, that's the way. Well, it works well for my anxiety because I'm I'm one of those people, right? Where like I, if I'm going to do like a back and forth with a podcast, I always like to be the one in the hosting seat first because I'm so bad with like my first conversation with someone because we've spoke on Instagram a little bit, but I think this is the first time I've ever chatted to you kind of like quote unquote face to face, right? Yes, because we are literally on the other side of the planet from one another. So yeah, yeah, this is the yeah. first time. Yeah, awesome. Well, where in where in the States are you? I just asked you what time it is, but like, whereabouts are you actually in the States? <laughs> I, I'm in Utah. So Utah okay. is known for having the greatest snow on earth, and we do, and it's still freaking cold out there. And yeah, anyways, so Utah. I can't imagine it. Hey, like we've just, we're starting to come into our, like, I'm going to use the word winter loosely, given you've just talked about snow, like we're going to be yes, coming into please that. Do. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, we've just come out of like literally two weeks of, you know, 35 degrees Celsius, like whatever that is in Fahrenheit. I think that's like 90 something Fahrenheit possibly. Um, you know, so it's been, it's been very, very hot over here. So it, it's just so funny, like yeah. seeing the, that difference, but um, to dive right in, Lindsay, Let's get a brief introduction of yourself. You can keep it as short and sweet as you'd like, but just tell anybody who doesn't know who you are, you know, how did you get into coaching? How did you get into hypertrophy training, especially as well? Because that's something that you do focus on a lot in your content, you know, give us as much or as little as you'd like. Yeah, I, I feel like I started coming into hypertrophy training at a time when not very many women were, and um, a lot of women were still doing the bouncy bouncy, but so I grew up in a home where I, I'm actually the only child from my mom and dad. And this does have a point. You're like, well, Lindsay, we didn't need to go back <laughs> to your birth, but we're going to <laughs> because it kind of has defined a lot of things for me because I was the only one genetically from my mom and dad, but my dad had three kids. My mom had seven. I know I'm about to blow your mind. And then they got married and, and they had me. And so I'm the only one from them. And all of my sisters growing up, they were short with these, I, what I consider just these like gorgeous thunder thighs. Like I just wanted to be, and they all have like this incredibly genetic, just femininely fit body. And then there was Lindsay who is like five, eight. And I just... I'm just like a sh growing up with like the string bean, no muscle whatsoever. Um, and yeah, so I was always comparing myself to them. And then also as I'm growing up and hitting, you know, high school and stuff, the, the uh, bigger legs, bigger butt, this is what's in. So my body, I would say for a good portion of history has been like in, if you will. And now it's kind of out and the like bigger, better bottom half is kind of the thing mm -hmm. nowadays. And so I got made fun of a lot in um, high school for it, going into college for it. 
And, um, but I, I focused on other things in life and, and, but after I had kids, I put on weight and I, it wasn't just coming off like everybody was promising me it would. And so I started diving into nutrition. I started working out, but I couldn't do very much because I had a back injury. Sorry, this is a, turning into a long winded story. No, so please. I'll just kind of, I'll sum it up quickly. Like I, I had three bulging discs in my low back, so I couldn't run anymore. And up to that point in my life, I just thought if you were fit, you ran. Everybody who's fit is running, sure. right? And so that's like all I knew. Um, and I couldn't even run anymore. So my husband finally convinces me, get in, start lifting weights. And I'm like, I don't want to look like a man though. So I'm like, I'm dealing with a lot of that. And he finally convinces me, you're not going to look like a man. I give in, I started going and I just, I just fell in love with it. But one thing that really kind of, um, I was frustrated with that first, but now I'm grateful for is if you look at me, I kind of have very short torso, the longest femurs on planet earth. Like they are so long. And so my setup for everything for deadlifts, for squats, for just everything, no matter what I did, it would not look like all of the books were saying I was supposed to look like. Yeah, sure. And it was a, yeah. And, and I'm, you've watched me on Instagram. You can see that, that it would be a point of frustration. So I just, it kind of forced me though, to dive into biomechanics and that between that and also the fact that, um, I'm not genetic. Well, I, uh, I hate saying genetically blessed to put on muscle because we all can put on muscle, but I definitely was a slower muscle gainer. And, and so I had to maybe learn things that other people who didn't genetically either have that muscle or uh, were faster at putting on muscle. I had to learn a lot of things that they, they didn't have to. And um, that's kind of what drove me into focusing on hypertrophy, focusing on strength and, uh, muscle and all of that good stuff, biomechanics. And, and that's mostly when people follow me on Instagram, I would say they follow me for that. And, and maybe, mm-hmm. maybe the mindset too. Um, but yeah, that, that kind of sums up what brought me here to this point. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. No, see what I love about that story there is one, how good's that having a partner who actually says to you, like, no, you're not going to look like a man because I know like, you know, since I started as a coach, like one of the biggest pushbacks that I always got from female clients who are sort of new to weight training, um, especially because I work with a lot of gem pop clients was always like, I feel like I'm going to look quote unquote manly or whatever. And, you know, I, and then I'd sort of like speak to them and they'd be like, well, you know, my husband would always say, you know, you're going to look like this. You're going to look like, I'm like, yeah, but like your husband lifts weights and what does your husband look like? Cause you know, when I I look at like a lot of these women that I was talking to, I was like, you know, you're definitely not going to look like that. And he could probably do a little bit more with looking like, <laughs> you know, the quote unquote manly look yes. you know, sort of thing to not be rude, but like, you know, so how cool is that to have a partner who's really supportive? And it's like, cause I think his name's Alex, right? Your, your husband. Yeah. Yep. Alex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like Alex is, he's been lifting weights quite a while too, right? Like he's, he's pretty big into, yeah. into training. And he's, 
he's done shows and it's actually been really fun me diving into um, biomechanics to the extent that I have and then being able to help him kind of bring up mm. some areas that he wanted to bring up and it, things weren't really working the traditional things weren't working and and so we've been able to bring up like his upper chest and and his back and we're working on adding a little bit more depth to his biceps right now and it's kind of funny that it's the wife writing <laughs> these uh these hypertrophy programs it's it's usually the reverse right and so it's kind of fun it's really fun yeah. actually yeah i love that that's honestly awesome and um yeah i was gonna say he's like he's probably now like cheering because he's like yes got her into all this sort of stuff and now she's like taking me to the next level that's what i wanted like here we go sort <laughs> yeah. of thing right um and then the second talking point off that which i think is i did warn you i like going on tangents so here we go we're going on one to start no, but let's um let's do it let's do it the importance of genetics, not just in muscle growth, but also, as you said there, like with setup, because I was the same thing when I was younger, I used to play cricket. Um, and I'm not sure like whether being American, you know what cricket is, but um, it's kind of like our version of baseball, basically, I guess, to put it, put it yeah. as similarly yeah. as possible, um, which play with a red ball instead. And, um, you know, I hurt my Achilles tendon when I was like 14 and being 14 years old, I never rehabbed it. I was like, you know, I went to a physio and he was like, you got to do all these exercises. And I was like, nah, I'm invincible. I'm 14 years old. I don't need this. And obviously it just got worse and worse and worse over the years. So my dorsiflexion on my right side, especially especially is absolutely rubbish. It's terrible. So the same thing when I came to doing barbell squats or when I came to doing split squats or lunges or anything, I never looked like any of the anatomy books because everyone was always saying, you know, keep your chest upright, be very like what we would know more as like this high bar knee dominant squat position. Whereas for me, I tend to fold over like a deck chair. Um, and I yeah. found, you know, squatting in that lower bar position in a more hip dominant squat to be more comfortable for me. And eventually safety bars and stuff like that as well, when I learned about them, but you know, same thing with deadlifting. I tend to stiff leg everything because of the way that I kind of move now. And it's so important to kind of note all these things when it comes to exercise setup, not just because you're kind of like, right, I want to bias this, but it's like, okay, what have I got in front of me? What human being have I got in front of me? How can I maneuver them and this lift together to make it work for them? So I really like that you highlighted that there. Um, and just to kind of give people a bit more of an in-depth on that. What is the significance of having that longer femur length, especially for things like squats and split squats? Yeah. So there's a few things too, because I had some, uh, my ankle mobility was pretty bad as well. Yeah. And so, um, you know, when you're doing like a deadlift and everybody's like, it should look this certain way and don't, don't raise at the hips too quickly i'm like i have to hmm. i have to like otherwise the bar is running into my knees and i i just remember one kind use that use that loosely kind soul no <laughs> he was trying to be kind he comes over to me in the gym and he's like uh, and, and he prefaces it with this i just barely won this whatever thing in in deadlifting for clearly I'm a hypertrophy person and not like a body body uh or not body and body recomp but like a power lifter and he said he had just won some competition he's like let me let me show you what you're doing wrong he sat there for 20 minutes and he could not make my butt not go up first so that the bar could clear and not hit my knees like he wanted me to do it and he's like I just don't get just sit into it just sit into it I'm like I can't 
my body yeah. doesn't do that. And it was like, a, it was very frustrating. But then on top of it, the limitations with um, my ankle mobility. And then also on top of that, I was spending a lot of time trying to squat too narrow. So uh, most women, um, they actually have a little bit white. If they want to get the depth that they really like, if some women for one reason or another want to get just that really deep squat, like that's their goal. They're not trying to bias anything. They just want a deep squat. Hmm. Um, most of them are going to be a wider stance than men. That's just, I mean, it kind of makes sense. So we're the ones bearing children and having babies pop out of down there. I mean, it just makes sense that there's going to be like a wider <laughs> pelvis, right? Yeah. So um, I was trying to do it too narrow because I was being trained by all these men who were saying I needed to look like them and their stance and everything. So it it is interesting because every single person, even those that come with me, come to me saying, well, I have a short torso and long femurs like you, they're still going to be, their setup and execution still may be a little bit different than mine because what's their... Um, like what's their pelvis going to be like? What is it going to be wider, narrower? How is, is the femur going to sit in that? Um, and then do they have ankle mobility issues or not? So everything's just going to be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Even when you look at somebody and say, oh, well, and I think a lot of times people look at me and they say, oh, I'm tall. You're tall, Lindsay. Therefore, I my setup's going to look like yours. And once again, it's not about height. It's about proportions yes. of like limbs. Yeah, 100%. And so that was a long-winded answer. No, I think that's the best way as well. I think some of these things, it's important to look at that nuance and go in depth because it, it is so important for everybody to realize that, yeah, okay, we're going to have this range of like acceptable form, if that makes sense, but it's not always going to be this mm-hmm. like perfect looking squat. And yeah, okay. You get some people where you look at like Chinese weightlifters, for example, and you watch them just squat to depth effortlessly. The dorsiflexion is amazing. The knee flexion is amazing. They're so upright. And it's just like, holy shit, I wish I could squat like you. But then, you know, you take mm-hmm. someone like myself and it's like, nope, I'm just going to fold forward. And there's not much I can do about that. Even if I elevate my heels, even if I grab a safety bar, I'm never going to be completely upright. I'm never going to be able to push my knees completely forward. You know, I can do all these, you know, squat university mobility drills and all that sort of stuff. And I've tried them in the past. And it's like, there's still always going to be like certain degrees that I can't get to. And that's okay. I've got a squat for me. So yeah. I love that in-depth answer. And to move and, on from- and let not, me, Oh, I was just going to interject in there. And yeah, yeah. I don't have- I don't have the time. Mm. I I own a business. I I homeschool my kids. I um I want to be present for family and friends. There there's all these things that I want to do, and I don't have time to go into the gym and spend thirty minutes on drills before I even get to my lifting. Exactly. And and so. And most of my clients, that's, that's the other thing too, is sometimes when I watch people on Instagram, I think one, have you even trained anybody other than yourself? Cause yes, you yes. sound like you haven't Two, like most people in the real world don't have time to do that, but yet they want to see results yesterday from me as a coach and trainer. Yep. And so as great as some of these 
Well, I don't know. We could argue about some a lot of these mobility uh, things that people do, tactics that people do. But let's just say we really want to become a lot more mobile with our ankles. And I, look, my clients don't have 20 minutes to do all these stretches and band work and all of that stuff. So why can't I just solve the problem for them today, get them the results that they want sooner? And one thing that's awesome about training right and training a little bit more intelligently is that actually our mobility increases over time as we're loading it in extremes. So as we're loading in that lengthened position and in that short, and we can actually create more stability, more function at the joint, more flexibility, and it's just a beautiful thing. So instead of wasting all that time that my clients don't have and I don't have, we can just get results now. Yes. And the other thing people don't realize is that that just because your passive range is really good, like just because, for example, you can do a bodyweight split squat and you can drive that knee so far over the toe, it's amazing. When you suddenly load that with, I'll try and talk in pounds here so it makes a bit more sense, but you know, it's like suddenly if you put 135 pounds on your back for that split squat, your active range is going to shorten because all of a sudden your body yeah. goes, actually, I can't control you here because I've never been exposed to this range with this load and we're going to have to work to get there anyway. So it's kind of like, well, realistically, yeah. if that's going to happen regardless, we might as well not worry so much about what we're doing with these bands and so much about what we're doing pre-squat. Like, yes, yeah, okay, if you have rituals that make you feel good and all that yeah. sort of stuff that makes yeah. you feel ready to go, knock yourself out if you've got the time. But you're right, these like 20, 30-minute pre-training mobility regimes, they're just not... They're not feasible for the average person. I know another one we actually chatted about yeah. the other day on Instagram with supersets and, um, you know, people like ragging on supersets now and being like, you got to rest five to six minutes between every working set. And I'm like, my clients have maybe 45 minutes to get into the gym, get out of the gym four times a week. You want me to get them to do seven, eight sets in that time, max, you know, yeah. like not allowing for warm up and cool down. I'm like, just because it's written somewhere in a journal that this may be the more beneficial way to go about things doesn't mean it's always going to be the most realistic way to go about things. Right. But anyway, that's just, that's me ranting yep. now. I don't want, don't want to get down that road. Too well, much. <laughs> no, but that I, I do think that that's really good. A lot of times when we cite studies and research, I think we need to realize that these are in environments that are highly controlled. Yes. And when and application to the real world, we know differently. We know that the application to the real world, to real clients, to myself is going to be slightly different. And that's actually okay because research should not be hung up as some law that everybody has to obey or you don't know what you're talking about and you're bad. It's like, no, they're general guidelines is what I like yes. to think about. They're guidelines of these are things that we have seen. But even sometimes when people quote research, what kind of bothers me a lot of times is that maybe they just read the abstract, which is okay. I understand mm -hmm. that not everybody has the time or means to be able to read everything. But sometimes what we see in these studies is the abstract says like, okay, two minutes was great for most people. Mm. But what about those people that responded to a little bit longer? What about people who responded to a little bit shorter? And then what about that other piece of research that said when volume was equated, yeah. the rest time doesn't matter. 
right? Oh, nobody's bringing up that one because that's not the cool one to talk about right now, right? So it's just it's just kind of funny when people talk about research, but yeah, and then you bring that paper up, and then they bring up a paper that says volume doesn't matter, and then you're just kind of like, <laughs> yeah, okay, I know, great. cool. <laughs> I, I see where this conversation's yeah. going. I'm checking out of it now, <laughs> like because you're just like whatever I say, you're just gonna find this little cherry picked study that you've got in your back pocket. You're gonna go here, read that one. And it's like fuck, okay, great. <laughs> And, and I guess we all do it to some degree, right? Yeah, We're of all course. somewhat guilty because we all have our own experiences with ourselves and clients that we tend to lean towards a little bit more. And, and when we find studies that that agree with it, yeah, we are going to lean onto it a little bit heavier. So I, I realized that that bias is there for me. But anyways, I just think it's kind of funny. No, of course, same. And I'm always like looking at like, we, we might skip ahead actually to um, one of the later points and come back around actually, because this kind of like ties in really nicely. But I'm always looking at like, obviously there's the buzzword, you know, optimal online at the moment. Like, and I think yeah. the incredible part has come that like, there seems to be a large percentage of the population that does not understand the word optimal. Um, to me, like the word yeah. optimal kind of is a meeting in the middle of this idealism and then realism. And being able to make that work the best for the individual. So obviously we talk a lot about optimal with exercise selection and we talk a lot about optimal with program design. And as we said there, supersets in the literature may not have been the most optimal way to grow muscle. But then there is also a study that I can cite and I can put in the description for people after this, where they actually found that antagonist supersets, whereby we've got opposite muscles working together for the listeners, actually had no uh, dramatic downfall on performance and potentially even increased performance more than doing straight sets. So it's like, you know, in that situation, was that more optimal than doing the straight sets? So just for yourself, because I know you've done a lot of the N1 courses and everything, you're very well um, acquainted with Coach Kasim, and he's obviously where a lot of this optimal stuff has come from. Um, I do feel bad for him because I feel like his message has been misconceived by a lot of people. Um, but, you know, what's your your definition with optimal and how do you approach that um, with your programming and for your clients as well? Yeah, so I feel like you pretty much nailed uh, my same belief of optimal. And I, I really love that we want to start out by defining what that word even is, right? Mm. It's kind of like re- reverse diet. You say reverse diet and people yeah. are all over the board with that. And I'm like, let's just start. If we can just define this word yeah. and then we can have a conversation about it, right? Because otherwise people go in crazy directions. But I actually think optimal is an, on an individual level. So, I mean, the actual word is going to be best or most favorable, right? And for me, I think okay, so what's the best approach per this client? What's the fastest way to get them from point A to point B? Mm. And like that, the fastest, the most efficient that is going to like keep them safe, right? Keep yeah. them injury free if, if we possibly can. So when I think of optimal that's what I think of. And in fact, today I wrote a post because um, I, I, it was actually because I saw somebody else do a post on B stance RDL versus single leg, right? Where okay. the single leg, one of the legs is flying through space. The other one, the B stance, you have the back foot lightly, not contributing to carrying a lot of the load, but just lightly giving you some stabilization. 
And, and I said on there, which one is best? That was the question, which one is best? And if you swiped over, you'd see, well, it depends. It depends. What is your goal? Everything comes down to what is your goal? So if your goal is to just walk into the gym, move weights because you think it's fun and you want to feel better and you just generally like that activity and it's just, you feel healthy and strong and great. The great thing about that is you can literally go in and do whatever. I mean, stay safe, but there's no good or bad exercise. There's just movement patterns that you enjoy and load them appropriately and and have at it. I don't care. But where I come in with my, because I do use the word optimal quite a bit, where I come in is, but if, let's say your goal is hypertrophy, then the question is, is there a better exercise to get you there faster between the two? And now we have a more specific question, which can give us a more specific answer, which is, yes, there is a better choice we are going to lean towards the exercise that one, an individual can perform well, because it doesn't matter if it's on my optimal list, if they just suck at it, yeah, they're not exactly. going to, it's not optimal for them then. Right. Yeah. So we don't just make lists of this is a good exercise. This is a bad one. <laughs> it, no, it's where does the client now come into play? And if the client can't perform, an RDL without constantly complaining about back pain, then the most optimal exercise is not going to be the RDL. It's going to be something else. Absolutely. And so that's really how I love programming and coaching with clients is, and even I have an app where people can just buy like exercise, uh, like just training programs from me. And even with them, I encourage them to reach out to me and say, hey, this exercise doesn't feel good. Is there another one? Yes, because if you don't, if you feel like you're getting injured or feeling it more in another part of your body, then yes, let's figure this out. Let's choose an exercise that has the same movement patterns that overloads relatively in the same position that you can get more out of. And then bam, that is the most optimal exercise for you. So that's how I view it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think exactly the same from my point of view as well, because it's like, you know, for example, the big ones that go around at the moment, we've got pull downs and like glute bridges and stuff. They seem to be the yeah. two points of contention at the moment, but it's like for a, a CAS glute bridge, for example, right? It's like, is it the most optimal glute hypertrophy exercise ever? You know, in that nuanced definition where that is the only thing we're trying to push towards, probably not. But if I've got a client who's like, yeah. Jack, I saw so-and-so on social media wanting to hip thrust. And I've tried hip thrusting before, but I get back pain off the floor and I really struggle with this full range. I'm like, okay, well, let's work our way down. Let's start with this bridge position. Let's see whether you can actually just hold a body weight isometric first. Let's just see if you can do that. Okay, you can do that. Cool. Let's add a barbell. Now let's slightly come out of that position of full hip extension and let's stay in that top quarter range. Let's just control that range. Very small range of motion. Let's see if you can do that. Okay, you can do that. That's cool. Now maybe we can progress from here to a hip thrust. And now we can maybe progress from the hip thrust to a hip thrust from the floor where you can probably move more weight. 
is have I gone on like the spectrum of like most optimal glute exercises there? Probably not. Have I gone on a spectrum of most optimal exercise for this client who wants to get towards this lift and probably grow, grow their glutes a little bit in the process? Yeah, I have. And they're now pain-free and they're more confident. And all of a sudden that's then a gateway for them maybe to do an RDL or something like that, where it's then an even more complicated exercise. And it's like, optimal is always this sliding scale for me of like, yeah, what, as you said, what is the actual goal that we're working towards? What's the objective? And how is the person doing with that objective at the moment? Um, you know, like I said in my lats post the other day, I was like, I love those iliac style pull downs and I love the pull around and all that sort of stuff. Like I've found my personal lat development has gone through the roof since trying that. But I also recognize that a lot of people struggle, especially with the kind of reaching across the body, not ending up like yes. in this weird, awkward, twisted, flexed position. Um, and so I'm like, okay, well, maybe you just do a normal neutral grip pull down for now. And then we go to a single arm pull down. And now all of a sudden, okay, can we rotate the torso a little bit? And can we work there sort of thing? So yeah, I always think that that optimal scale changes and slides and all that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, I think it's just a very interesting conversation, but I also think you you nailed it there that we need to define what optimal is because it does seem so many people have just heard the word optimal now and go, no, that's a bad thing. We don't like that. We don't like, it's like, <laughs> it's literally the best thing you can have. <laughs> Yeah. Why wouldn't you want that? But it's like a trigger word for so many people now in fitness. And so many people think, well, if it's optimal, then for some reason, we're not moving very much weight. That was another one that recently I saw. And I was like, wait, what? That doesn't even make sense. Like we still need the required amount of tension through that range of motion. And anybody who's seeking for optimal is going to look at all parts, not just the movement of the body, but are we able to load it appropriately and continue to progress? And somebody who's going to take time to focus so much on quote unquote optimal exercises is also, or the likelihood of them doing this is very high, is also going to be looking at the tension on the muscle itself. And that being, obviously, we need that as a stimulus towards yeah. the adaptation of hypertrophy. No, exactly. I think it, it was yourself the other day. I think I saw you, you shared something on like this glute max kickback variation. Um, and somebody was saying like, mm -hmm. it was a bit of a, like a fluff exercise. And then your response was to do the entire stack on the cable machine for like a set of, and you did like a set of mm -hmm. like, was it like six, eight reps or something like that? And I was like, yeah, like this is the yeah. thing pe people say like, oh, it's a fluffy exercise or this, because it's not a, you know, 1970s golden era bodybuilding classic. It's something that somebody's come up with recently that doesn't look like clanging and banging or whatever, but like that doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, if you can yeah, still get doesn't. a lot of tension out of it and work a muscle through a significant range, that is a good exercise, you know? Yeah. Well, and especially with the glutes, if we're looking at a lot of times people think, oh, a fully lengthened glute is wide stance. And we know that that's not true, that you yeah. need a little bit more adduction with hip flexion. And so how can we get that and load it? That's the trick, right? We can kind of do it with like a hip shift step down or drop lunge or there's so many names for all of these exercises. Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so, it's so hard to keep track of them. It's so hard to keep track of them. But I definitely love that glute max like kickback because you are really lengthening uh, the mid and upper glute max fibers 
in ways that we really haven't been able to get into and load a lot. And so I would think that anybody who loves bodybuilding to any varying degree would be so excited for any little bit of advancement. So when I see people pushing back on it, I think it's almost sad. But I I mean, I don't know what it's like for you. But if I just if it was just about going in and moving weights and grunting, and I, I think I would have. I think my joy of it would have fizzled a long time ago. I I feel like what keeps it really fun for me is that it also has to be mentally stimulating, intellectually stimulating. I have to keep learning and growing and reading and and it, that's what's really really fun for me. Yeah, I agree. It's the same for me. Like I actually I interviewed uh, Coach Eugene Tio a couple of months ago, and he refers to himself as a problem solver rather than a coach. And I'm like. I love that because to me, that is, that's training, right? Like, as you described there, like, don't get me wrong. I like moving heavy weight. I really like going into the gym, amping myself up for a performance goal. That's great. But like, if that was all there was to it, you know, performance does plateau and lifts do plateau. And it's kind of like Mm -hmm. being able to stay motivated and stay interested and stay inquisitive and all these sort of things when your progress is just stalling and you have no other option doesn't sound too appealing to me. So being able to go, okay, yep, I've plateaued on this. What could I do that can then change the stimulus a little bit? Like when I started following Kasim in N1 and he started talking about single arm pulling movements across the body, I was like, shit, I didn't even think about that. I'm like, all I was doing was just these Mm -hmm. like, you know, neutral grip pulls, squeezing hard, not even really getting to my rib cage because I was using an attachment that was too small for me. And that was my back trading. And then it was kind of like, cool, this has opened up this whole world of possibility. And it's like, is it going to be for everyone? No. Does everybody have to do it? No. But if you want to have that nuance and you want to explore a little bit deeper and you kind of think to yourself, actually, I want to grow my lats and keep my shoulders fairly healthy. Maybe I should explore these other ranges that they're going to go into you know, that definitely adds that extra layer of enjoyment to coaching and training for myself as well. So I completely agree with you there. Um, Is there anything like recently that you've kind of, I don't want to say like looked back on and changed your mind necessarily, because, you know, we all have those pretty much every day, I think, but is there anything you've kind of been looking into recently that's kind of sparked your interest a little bit and you've kind of thought, yeah, okay, this is interesting. I want to explore that a bit more. Um, Well, we talked about it a little bit, um, off air about the all the research coming out with the lengthened yes and you you actually asked me the question you're like has this changed your programming a ton and the funny thing about it is it hasn't a ton and and i would say the reason why is because there there are coaches and trainers like me that we love research we love studies we love reading them um but we've also been dabbling into a lot of this before it was even a published study i mean i remember just as an example (laughs) we kind of a a lot of us kind of piece these things together before it came out saying oh this is the thing (laughs) (laughs) there might be a little bit more hypertrophy here right i mean i remember when a study came out a few years ago and it was the uh, hip thrust versus the squat and which oh, yeah. one brought more hypertrophy. And, and I, remember, I remember it was very controversial at the time, but I remember being like, wait, we're surprised by this. I mean, 
but one of them is overloading way more, getting way more lengthened, moving through a greater range of motion with more tension. Like, why are we surprised by this one? So I feel like a lot of times it is kind of fun to hear studies that test you, you and uh, challenge your beliefs. Hmm. But this actually was kind of one that was like, okay, yeah, we're, we've all been heading in this direction for quite some time. Yeah. And uh, we've kind of pieced this together far before this actually came. So has it changed my, well, uh, this may sound really funny, but it hasn't necessarily changed a lot of my uh, programming in general. But one thing it has changed is I can now say in the marketing of my programming, hey guys, you've been learning that this and this happens in the lengthened position that we're more than likely to get, or we're likely to get more hypertrophy working here. In my programming, that's what we're doing for this and this. And so it, it, it has been kind of nice because it gives some validity to it. Sure, that yeah. I, I'm, I'm putting a lot of thought into my programming. We're not just choosing exercises that are really fun, that quote unquote burn. And so it's kind of nice when I have clients that uh, like studying these things out that I can now say, hey, look, that thing that you were just asking me about, that you were questioning about with the length and position and us overloading a little bit more in that or, or, or working, because I guess that's the next question is, do we have to overload it or is it just getting yeah. into that position? That's, you know, that's the next thing that everybody's uh, arguing over. But um, it's nice to be able to say, we have some studies on it. And now it's kind of cool that you have been doing that in your training and notice that you were seeing those results. And, and now we, we know why, I mean, we guessed why, but now we have a little bit more knowledge towards it. So it's kind of fun. Yeah, and I really, wouldn't say it's massively changed it. Well, that's it. I'm really happy you gave that answer because, you know, I really wanted to ask, this is what I love about this podcast is being able to have people who do work with real people all the time and have been doing so for years and actually have this like level of, as we said, studies are great, but you've got this level of anecdote as well, where it's kind of like you've seen over the years, like, yeah, okay, this clearly works. We've, we've already been going to this. And I remember as long as I've been training, it's always been prioritize the stretch over the squeeze. No one could tell you why. We used to think it was muscle damage, which now we know that's not the reason, but like, you know, we, you know, we've always had like, do the squeeze over the stretch and nobody can tell you why. Now it's great to have that validity, but it's interesting seeing all these people who, whether they don't work with people at all, whether they haven't for a long while now kind of shifting and going, okay, so everything has to be here, has to be in this length and range. Potentially there's not even a point of doing full range of motion. And I'm like, what? Like, that's not what this study is trying to say here. Like, you know, cause I, I yeah. saw a study recently that was like, um, was the, I think it was the preacher curl one. And they were sort of comparing like, um, mm-hmm. lengthened partials to full range of motion. Yeah. And it's like, okay, there wasn't too much difference there, but what about joint health? <laughs> what about training a muscle through a full yeah. contractile range? What about as well, if you only perform lengthened partials and say you did that on a quad day and you literally only did the bottom portion of a squat, the bottom portion of a hack squat, the bottom portion of a split squat, you're not going to walk for like three days afterwards. You're going to be so messed oh up. Your gosh, recovery is going to be so bad. Like, so it's then kind of like, how do we balance these aspects? And really it then comes back to, as you said, we've already been doing that. <laughs> you know, we've already been yeah. like, okay, prioritize this length and range, but you know, for the quads, train a leg extension, do some mid range work make sure you're actually training the whole contractile range. 
and make sure that yes, okay, you're gonna have some doms, but you can walk up the stairs and sit on the toilet in two days' time. Like it's <laughs> make sure it's a little bit yeah. more okay for yourself. Um, because I do think that's something that's then missing with this is everybody going, like, we're just gonna do these length and partials, we're just gonna train length and movements. I'm like, the biggest part of hypertrophy that everybody glosses over is recovery. You know, it's always like, yes, okay, you yeah. can optimize what you're doing in the gym to these papers and stuff, but are you optimizing your recovery as well? Are you training in a way that actually allows you to recover the next day, the day after, come back and train this muscle group again in three days? Um, so yeah, it's nice to hear an actual like kind of an intelligent answer to that and like, you know, a coach's perspective. Um, Not an extreme answer. Yeah, Not an extreme exactly. Of, no, only, but, but one other thing that I think is kind of funny about all of this, like lengthened versus short, is that, the short position, it didn't equal zero hypertrophy. And I feel exactly. like people are, are walking away thinking that, oh, it's completely pointless. There was no hypertrophy. I'm like, but there was, yeah. <laughs> there yeah. was. And you, you brought up that excellent point of there was, and it's not going to require as much recovery. So if somebody needs to train this again in a few days, they can. Exactly. And if we're looking at overall, uh, I mean, I mean, they bring up volume and then some, like you said, somebody's going to be like, oh, well, it doesn't matter. Just train hard near uh, failure, yeah. but not failure because you can't go to failure. But as long as you, there's so many, it's, it's, it's as bad as when you talk about food, like oh yeah, yeah. eat fruits and vegetables, but don't eat fruits and vegetables because yeah. they'll also kill you. Like drink so water, hard. but don't drink too much water, but also drink enough water, but make sure <laughs> yeah. it's in this exact amount of like gallon jugs. But remember you can buy my gallon jug from here and it's the perfect thing. Use this discount code. Like it's <laughs> every time it's like, fuck. <laughs> it's, so true. it's so true. And so those of us who aren't on the extremes who are like, do you know what? I'm going to take this information and wisely place it here. And this information wisely place it there. It, we're not, we're not sexy. We're not cool. Yeah, we're exactly, not living yeah. in the extremes. We're not, I, we're not drawing the masses to us because we don't live in that extreme. We live in a world of nuance, but guess what? Everybody lives in that world. The, that's the real world. Yeah. And it kind of can be hard living in the real world and speaking to the real world on Instagram because people are like, no, no, I'm in the real world. It's not that flashy. I want flash. I yeah. want, you know, this black and white answer yeah. and it, it's not there. Yeah, well, exactly. And that's, that's something that I get all the time. Like I've kind of started this series on my Instagram recently of like dissecting these bad, I don't want to say bad, like, again, I hate, I hate having to use that word, but like these less than ideal mm -hmm. movements for specific muscle groups. So like lately, obviously glutes, because it gets out there and to be honest, like I'm tired of talking about glutes. Like I, I really am, but it's like, okay, on social media, <laughs> it's what does the numbers. So you got to bring it back eventually. It's, so it's like, fire out. like, I'm like, how many ways can yeah. I skin this cat? Like, um, you know, but <laughs> I started this series and it, inevitably every time I post one, so like, you know, covering things like cable squats, kneeling squats, you know, pull throughs last night and all that sort of stuff. I'm like, you know, I, I get it. If you enjoy it, you can do it. But like somebody will always come out of the woodwork and be like, oh, but I feel it like this and it, it's better than this because of this and better. And I'm like, none of the the reasonings that you've given me are like, I don't want to say intelligent. That sounds rude, but like, you know, they're not like thoughtful or anything like that. They're, they're not backed by anything. It's just your emotion around this being like, I'm bored of an RDL or I'm bored of a hip thrust. And it's like, I'm sorry to tell you that is 
that's going to be the best bang for your buck exercise. And it's like, yeah, okay, you can, if you want to do these yeah. things, like you want to copy Kim Kardashian's recent glute workout, be my guest. Just note that if you do that for nine months in place of all these bigger lifts, you will not grow as much and you will not get as much progress. You know, mm-hmm. you might see some, you might see a little bit, especially if you're an untrained yeah. individual, but like is some better than the max amount that you could achieve? I would argue no, <laughs> um, but you know, each to their yeah. own and everything. Um, but to actually come onto social media now, because you're, I mean, you're taking off this last sort of 12 months or so. You're nearly at hundred K at this point, aren't you on social media now on Instagram? I think I'm in the eighties, so I'm not that cool yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> not quite six figure cool, but, not quite hundred K love. <laughs> but, but yes, I feel like things have kind of come up and it's actually when I started my podcast okay. is when I started drawing more people to me. I actually think I, I do better in a longer platform versus like a short. So, but that's just, yeah. Me. Yeah. But I think that's, again, that's coaches, right? Because as we said, we like to explain the nuance and um, you know, Glenn yeah. Carroll, who I work with is the same. Like he's been investigating doing a podcast or YouTube and stuff. Cause he's like, I really struggle in these like 60 second sound bites to get everything that I want put across. And I'm like, it's cause you're smart. <laughs> you know, it's cause you've got this knowledge and it's like, yes, okay. You can cut it down and you can bring it down for the masses and like to put lots out there. But it's like, you know, for me, I miss when Instagram was more swipes and you could put like 10 slides and stuff. And that did well. Cause I'm like, you could put a bit more of the nuance. You could put a bit more of the info, but yeah. you know, you're, you know, I love your content personally. I've been, I'm following you for ages now. And I love the balance nowadays that you've been able to put with this hypertrophy content, but as you kind of touched on earlier, there's a lot of mindset content there as well. And I love that kind of approach that despite you know, social media being catered more towards these influences and this excitement and what's, you know, like the new trending exercise for the next three weeks or whatever, you know, your social media is much more around education and empowerment, I feel. And I absolutely love that because I think that we need more of that on socials first and foremost. Um, but secondly, I learn a lot of stuff, which is really cool. You know, I love following people that I can learn off and everything. Um, but I want to do a little bit of a dive into some of this because a lot of your content recently, and I don't want to just kind of pigeonhole it to women, but a lot of it is, you know, very relevant for women and moving women, especially away from like deficit culture and constant diet culture and kind of restriction. Um, and yeah, I want to dive into that and why that little bit of a shift now towards pushing women towards, you know, eating in a surplus, staying at maintenance, eating enough to grow muscle. Obviously you touched on like your own experience, um, you know, but could you give us some insight into why it is you're so big on pushing that on socials? Sorry, very long-winded question. No. Well, before I jump into that, I just want to say, I really respect your content. I respect that you bring the nuance. It's hard to in social media. Um, And I'm very picky about who I follow. I don't like, I don't like it when people are bashing other people. I don't like it when they mm. take videos of other people and are like, to me, that's cheap content. Anybody oh, can yeah. post a video of somebody saying something stupid and then bash them. Like the world is full of that. Like, so that to me doesn't enhance the fitness culture. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't educate people. It just tells, it teaches to walk around judging everybody. Mm, I don't I like that. I agree. Like that's like what they're it's and um 
who did you say your coach was? I thought it was Mark. Yeah. So I, I um, work with Glenn, but Mark's my, Mark coaches me. So it's like, yeah, okay. I'm basically splitting the family, you know, spending 50% of time oh, with, okay. you know, daddy Mark and then uncle Glenn <laughs> on the side, you know? So. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Okay. But I follow Mark too. I, uh, I like that. He does that too. Like he may show somebody else doing something, but the way he speaks about them is very kind. Yes. It's not yeah. a judgmental way. It's like, let's just learn from this. But also I love how, how you present your information as well. It's Thank not you. like you're not going to get no results. This isn't bad, but could we make it a little bit better? And if we can, then why not? Like, yeah, exactly. what, what's it going to cost you? Nothing. Exactly. So I really, really appreciate you in this space. So with Thank that you. being said, um, I, I feel like once you work with a lot of women, I and well, like you said, men can definitely fall under this as well. Once you work with a lot of people, you begin realizing that it's not the fat loss that they're seeking. It's not the, they don't need another diet plan. They've been given them a million times, right? They don't need another macro coach. They, they need somebody to do a, a few things for them. One, give them permission to make fitness a part of their life, not make their life into fitness. That's huge. Yeah, That's huge. I love that. Like they, but, but people, they, it's like they're, they need somebody to give them that permission. Look, mm -hmm. you have a life that is bigger than fitness. You have family, you have friends, you have children, you have a meaning in life that should be bigger than fitness. And if it's not, that's the problem. The problem isn't another diet plan that you might fail at again, because nobody ever taught you how to create habits and a lifestyle that you even enjoy. And so if I just gave you another fitness plan, well, I shouldn't say fitness plan, but another like food plan, that's not going to solve the problem of why one, you couldn't stay on course with the last one you got, or two, maybe you did stay on course, but you weren't able to maintain it. Hmm. And so I've found that there's just like that people are, um, they're using fitness to find themselves. And some people do, but it's not what they think. Some people, they lose the 10 pounds, they feel amazing. And then they think it's because I now look a certain way. Yeah. Really? Because there's that woman on the beach and we've all seen her who wouldn't be the Instagram star. And yet she's walking around in that two piece showing her full butt. Like she is the coolest, most gorgeous woman out there. And, and 99% of women look at her and just wish they felt the same way as her. Yes. Yes. Right. We've all seen it. Yes. So I'm just realizing like you coach enough people and you realize you start seeing the same exact patterns of thought coming up over and over and over again. And you realize you're trying to find a love of self through losing five to 10 pounds. And I'm here to tell you, you're going to get there. And then you're going to find out that the goalpost has moved. 
Mm. Because happiness and self-love doesn't come at the end of that goal. Now it can come through the journey. And I love talking to people about that journey and falling in love with that journey because that's where self-respect comes from. You made and kept promises to yourself. So now you respect yourself. Maybe you didn't before because you weren't doing that in other aspects of your life. But now you're you're building self-respect because you're doing something hard. So it doesn't matter if it's a fitness journey or a marathon or I, I don't know, building a business whatever it may be, because this obviously transcends past fitness, but some people love using fitness to find this and they can. But if they think that the love of self is at the end of the goal, then they're going to get there and they're going to be so disappointed. They may get there and feel great at first, like a few weeks, but then today in my stories, I was talking about the hedonic treadmill and the hedonic treadmill is basically we kind of have this happiness set point. And if something happens in our life, we can either go up or down. But after a few weeks, we kind of come back to that happiness set point. So people will lose weight. They'll be so excited. Their happiness goes up. But then what happens? After a few weeks, it comes back down. And what's funny about this is as the coach, I'm like, what happened? Your weight is still the same. You look the exact same. But two weeks ago, when you checked in, you were on top of the world and now you're checking in and it's not good enough. Yeah. Your body didn't change. Your mind did. Your mind did. So I've been lately just really on a, a trip of, well, lately, probably the past two years, really changing uh, what I speak to. So if you come to me because you want to know the perfect heart rate for, you know, maximizing your cardio capacity, you're coming to the wrong person because I'm not going to speak to that. I'm going to speak to training smart, being your strongest self and physically and mentally, because that's where self-respect is. And that's where self-love just flourishes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head there that what people don't realize is that yes. Okay. Some people, when they get leaner, they'll feel better, all that sort of stuff. And they'll carry that. They'll keep that confidence. And it's amazing. It's really cool to see. I've seen it before and I'll hopefully see it again. But it's like, I know from my own personal experience, for a lot of people, once you get leaner, those insecurities only creep up because all of a sudden you start to realize like, shit, I thought if I got to you know 15 pounds lighter, everything's going to be okay. I'm going to feel on top of the world, you know, um, the opposite sex or same sex, whichever way you go is going to love me. You know, my relationship with my parents is going to get better because I'm going to be more confident. I'm going to get that promotion at work because I'm going to go in and I'm going to feel more energetic and stuff. And you realize like, actually, I've just got a lot of stuff under the surface that I need to address. And that's not going to get addressed by my body fat percentage or my number on the scale or even by, you know, what I can lift in the gym. Yes. These things can contribute. As you said, like, you know, you you get these PBs in training and you feel on top of the world, or you do get more confidence. or you do fit into an old pair of pants where you're like, Whoa, I haven't worn these in ages. Happy days. I'm gonna wear this out today. And you feel really good or that, you know, old swimsuit or whatever, but it's like, you need to then have other things to help build that up and to then help build that momentum in life. And I think too, as well, it's kind of like, you know, just don't put so much stock 
into that one thing. It's like, you know, what if you do a year where training and nutrition are perfect and on point and everything goes your way. And then all of a sudden you decide to go on holidays for six months. You don't see a gym for six months. It's like, you know, that holiday is going to be amazing. Chances are, if you're going away for six months, you're going off and doing something fantastic. But so many people come back and the first thing they think when they get off the plane isn't like, God, I can't wait to look back over all the photos or anything. It's like, Oh, getting a bit pudgy, like, you know, and it's like, that's not, yeah, priority is so skewed and stuff. And I've actually had a few women lately, a few female clients who I've pulled out of a diet, like sort of, I'd say probably like halfway through because I was looking at their biofeedback and I was looking at their check-ins and I was looking at mood scores and stresses and, you know, adherence and stuff. And I was like, it's not right for you right now. This isn't where we need to be going. We need to be doing something else. And I don't know what that is right now. Like you're the master of your own destiny. You're the master of where you want to go. But I want you to think about something else that we can do here. Um, I'm going to do the responsible thing and bring your calories up because I think you need that. And I think that this increasing stress and this lowering mood and this, you know, adherence going off the rails to me just tells me that you're not right to be here right now. Um, And there's no shame in that. There's absolutely no shame in that. And I think that's the big thing is people go, I've failed. You know, I failed myself. I failed this diet phase. I failed my coach. And it's like, no, you gave it a go. It didn't work. And then I'm actually really proud of you for acknowledging like, actually, yeah, this isn't where I want to be. And there's other places that I can go with this. Um, You know, so yeah, I love that, that kind of mindset around transformations and it being this like longer term thing that you can work towards. Um, Do you have any... I always hate asking this question because it seems like very like sort of divisive, but like if you had to give a couple of tips to women listening to this right now who might be going through that at the moment, they're sort of thinking fat loss is where they want to go. Um, but they're maybe realizing that there's more to life than that. You know, do you have anything that you yeah. would, if they were all listening right now in front of you that you'd want to like broadcast to them? Oh my goodness. I'm going to actually pull up. I was going to do a a podcast on the hedonic treadmill and I found this quote that I absolutely um loved and I'm just going to kind of share it let me see if I can find it really quick um, I think what I loved so much about it is we think that most of us are looking for most of us we we'd say or just want to be happy or looking for happiness but if you do, if you read any book on happiness, you know that it's like, it's impossible to be happy all the time. It's mm-hmm. impossible to chase that all the time. Like the, the pressure you put on yourself to reach it 24 seven in and of itself is enough to prevent you from actually reaching it. And so I really, really liked what Ralph Waldo Emerson said about this. He said, the purpose of life is not to be happy. It is to be useful. It is to be honorable, to be compassionate, to have to make some difference that you have lived and lived well. And and I really loved that because when it comes back to that happiness set point that I talked about before and how we'll experiencing these will experience these rises like oh, I lost the weight. Or maybe like your clients, they're experiencing this low because one, they were in a calorie deficit that maybe mentally they weren't, uh, it just wasn't right for them Hmm. right now. And so they're experiencing this low and it's okay. You're going to get back to this happiness set point. But what I don't like about that theory is they say, 
well, you can't really change that happiness that board. That's just genetics. That's just who you are. And, and anybody who does any study on neuroplasticity on how the brain can actually, it, it is so malleable. The brain chemistry can change. Thought patterns can change. New neural pathways can be developed, but yes. only if we choose to step into adult development. You know, as a child, you got to learn to use the bathroom. Yeah. You're kind of forced into these developments, right? Yeah. Adults aren't forced into it. We've all met the quite a few children that are adults. You're not forced into it. You have to choose to step into it. So I really believe that you can increase your happiness at point, your real one by finding not happiness, but meaning in life. And mm. meaning is beyond yourself. It's actually about other people. So one thing that I've been encouraging my clients to do is when you find yourself turning in and talking bad about your body, it's a red flag that you're not thinking enough about other people and you're not giving your life real meaning. Okay. And there's coaches find such joy in fitness and health because they're helping other people. Yeah. So they're, they're getting outside of themselves. There's, they're, they're lifting other people and helping them rise up and be better than they yeah. thought that they could have ever been. Yeah. They're finding meaning. I was going to say and, that to you. Like, I would just, uh, sorry to just interject there, but I was going to no, say that to you. Like we, because we're both probably a really good example of this is yes, we enjoy our own training, but I imagine you're like me and that, you know, if you get five clients in a week, send you like, this is my result. I'm so ecstatic with this. Or like, you know, I did this, I'm ecstatic with this. You know, I hit this number in the gym. I'm ecstatic with this. Like I made this, you know, I wrote this in my journal and it made me realize that like my mindset has shifted, you know, this full 180. I'm ecstatic with this. Like that probably means even more than when you do it yourself. Right. Yeah. 100%. Because now all of a sudden you've built this stage and you're, in, you're sharing it with other people. You're inviting them to stand and rise up and be their best selves with you. And when you're standing up on a stage all by yourself, it gets lonely. Like, I don't want to yes. do that. I want other people to rise up and be up there with me. I want to see them flourish. But too many times I've seen women physically go someplace where mentally and emotionally they should not have ever gone. Hmm. And it ends up hurting them in the long run because now they're not mentally healthy. They may have that six pack, but they are not healthy and they're not as, uh, they, they're not experiencing as much joy in their life. So they've hit yeah. that point of diminishing returns. All of that effort is actually lowering their happiness, not increasing it. And so um, I, I would just like to say one other thing is we have to change our measuring tool. That's huge. Mm -hmm. because so many women are saying I'm not worthy until I look a certain way. And if you can change that measuring tool to be, no, I'm, I'm a strong woman because look at what I can do and then look at how I can now help others and, and raise them up with me. Like that is a strong person. That is so much more meaningful than a look, you know, at the, 
end of my life, if somebody stands up on my fun at my funeral, I like thinking about my funeral. I know that that sounds weird, but <laughs> I, if somebody stands up at my funeral and said, you know, Lindsay had these crisp uh, delts, these shoulders or this six pack, I would be like, I failed at life. Yeah. If that's all people are talking about, I failed. And so when we can keep our mortality in mind and our contribution beyond our body, but to other people in mind, and then we change our measuring tools of my value isn't derived from the scale. It's not derived from my look, but what I can do and what I can contribute to this world, that's where value is derived. And when you start measuring your life according to that and not, I mean, I guaranteed majority of your listeners right now can can tell you exactly how much they weigh mm. but can do they have measuring tools of how much they contributed to somebody else's life today that's really powerful did they did they serve somebody did they raise them up did they connect deeply with somebody else are they measuring those things in life because those things are what give them meaning and happiness and so I, I keep coming back to, we have to change the measuring tools that we are focusing the most on because what you focus on grows. And mm. if you're focusing on the scale every single day, it's huge. And it's a weight that you may not be able to bear, but man, if you're focusing on other people and service and contribution and growing and what can I create, what can I become that magnifies you in life. And that's an easy weight to bear. Oh, absolutely. And that, that is powerful. I, I've never really thought about kind of being able to, yeah, just take stock with yourself and actually measure that. You know, I've, I've always, because, you know, again, being a coach, you're, you're giving a lot of your time to other people and it does fulfill me a lot to be able to do that. But I've never really like sort of sat and thought like, okay, you know, how much more could I? could I be doing here? You know, how much more could I be giving uh, again? Like we all take stock of you know, business and all that sort of stuff. But outside of that, it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, okay, I'm coaching people, but what else have I done today? You know, what, you know, what have I done for my girlfriend? What have I done for my parents? Have I seen them recently? Have I done something that makes them happy? What have I done for my brother? What have I done for my friends? Like that's, that's actually really powerful. And I think that, yeah, you're right. Like if a lot more people started focusing on that stuff, you would then be able to make peace with potentially some of these other more kind of like extrinsic kind of things where it's like, does that really matter right now? Probably not. Like, does it mean that it can't ever matter? No, it's okay. It's allowed to yeah. be a priority at some point, but right now, is it the main thing that matters? So I think that's really powerful. And I'm actually reading a book at the moment. Um, <laughs> the title is funny. It's called Happy Sexy Millionaire. But um, it's by Stephen Bartlett, who <laughs> uh, runs the Diary of a CEO podcast. Oh, yeah. Have you read that yeah. one? Yeah. Yeah. I and love him. He's awesome. And um, he basically, he talks about this whole book is about how he grew up fairly poor, no money, all that sort of stuff. Um, and now he's obviously worth hundreds of millions of British pounds. He's yeah. extremely rich, extremely successful. But he says like, when he was 21 years old, the feeling that he got of finding 10 pounds down the back of a, I think it was like a five guys restaurant. Uh, so it meant he could buy money because he had uh, buy food, sorry, with this money because he had no money. 
actually outweighed the feeling of when he sold his company for hundreds of millions of pounds. He was like, everybody thinks that having more of this thing that they're told, and that could be you know, money, it could be the six pack, it could be the fast cars, it could be the, you know, Instagrammable partner, whatever. Like, you know, he's like, that does not compare to like these real simple, like bits of happiness, whereby you're going to actually get to do something that genuinely brings you like not just pleasure, but actual happiness and actual like satisfaction and stuff. Um, and he talks about the same thing, like really with that, to go back to the hedonic treadmill, he says like, you know, you're allowed to be happy overall, but feel angry about something, but feel sad about something, but feel frustrated about something. Just as long as you remember that overall, you're probably in a pretty happy place and, you know, you can come back to that. You know, you're allowed to be frustrated that the scale didn't get you where it wanted to get you, where you wanted it to get you by Monday. You're allowed to be upset that you didn't hit that PB on Thursday. But as long as you come back and realize that you've done a pretty fucking good job in the overall like aspect of this journey, and you can be happy with that, then it doesn't matter to have these little like instant reactions as long as you come back around to that. So yeah, I mean, I could I could honestly sit here and talk mindset <laughs> all day, honestly. But Lindsay, I am conscious of your time. So we're coming up to the hour mark here. So I think I will I will call it here and we can save a few talking points for when I actually um you know get myself organized and come on your podcast. Um Yeah, yeah. But Lindsay, please plug everything you've got, your Instagram, your coaching, podcast, everything. Let us let everybody know where they can find you. Um, well, you can find me on Instagram lifting Lindsay. Um, I have a podcast, Lifting Lindsay, uh, more than fitness, because I like to talk about things that are, that are, I like fitness to take its proper place in your life, which is to enhance your life. And as soon as it's not enhancing your life, it's probably taking too big of the shelf. And so I, that's why I decided to name my podcast that. Um, and then you can go to liftinglindsay.com. Um, I'm not open for uh, new clients right now, but I do have my the Lifting Lindsay app. So if you want to sign up for that, where I do, I sell it as optimized training. I do. That's <laughs> okay. You I, can you can sell optimized <laughs> stuff here. That's I fine. Can, <laughs> We're an optimal friendly can, space. <laughs> oh, good, 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 good. Um, yeah, because I try to respect people's time and effort in the gym. So I'm not going to be giving you some like, um, I don't know, low quality exercises. I like to choose the ones where you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck. And, um, so I have a bunch of programs on there, but yeah, it, thank you so much. It's been wonderful being on here, just chatting with you. It's fun. Yeah, no, thank you so much for coming on, Lindsay. As I said, I've been looking forward to this chat for ages. I'm so glad we finally got it kind of booked in and stuff. Um, yeah, everyone, please. Like, I genuinely implore you, if you don't follow Lindsay, go at least check out her content. There is so much you can learn off her. As you've just heard from the last hour or so, like so much around mindset, so much around training. And I genuinely think you'll leave her profile in a much more enriched kind of state of mind. And same thing with the podcast as well. Absolutely love listening to the podcast. Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on everybody else. Thank you so much for listening and I'll speak to you all soon. Cheers.